Well, good morning. Hard to believe it's uh, the end of January already, right? But great to have you with us. Um, got a call the other day from uh, a Dick Schomburg, and uh, it's been a while since Dick has been able to be here. He's been struggling physically, and uh, about two years ago broke his hip, and he's been here since then. But called to say just recently he's in a care facility because he broke his hip again and uh, he's not doing well and um, so be praying for Dick Schomburg um, 84 going on 84 years old this spring and uh, loves the Lord loves heritage and not able to be with us you be praying for Dick and uh, his recovery um, that it would go well for him and that he would uh, rest in the Lord in that regard. So have you ever thought about living in Hawaii? Maybe back around Christmas, right? <laughs> and uh, I, I, uh, as it turns out, there is now at least one more good reason, not that they needed one, for living in Hawaii, right? A lot of good reasons if you think about it. And uh, unless you just don't like warm, beautiful weather. Uh, but uh, the reason is Hawaiians are, are now have research tells us, right, uh, the best shot at living longer than any residents of any other state in the United States. That's right. You live in Hawaii and you got the best shot of living longer than anybody in any other state in our country. Now, whether that motivates you or not, I don't know, but you may be wondering, well, how do they know that, and why is that true? And, well, uh, they have the second lowest heart rate uh, or heart disease and cancer death rate of any of, any of the states. Uh, their better health is tied to their temperate climate and uh, the greater ability to exercise and walk outside, right? You don't have to be a mall walker. And you can be outside and be fine. And then they talk about with all of the sun over the majority of days, that vitamin D is just all over the place. And of course, that's great for your health and all the rest of it. Uh, they also found out two separate independent studies determined that Hawaii has the best health system of all 50 states. So it's like, all right, there's... That's the place to live. You want to live long? Go to Hawaii. You say, well, what is that age? How long? Well, the uh, estimated life expectancy or the average life expectancy of an individual who lives there in Hawaii is 80.7 years. That surprise you? 80.7 years. And it's the only state in the country that uh, the life expectancy is over 80, and the second closest state is three years younger. Now you say, what are you giving us all this stuff on Hawaii and long life and all the rest of that? Well, I, 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 it's great information, and you say, but what's your point? Well, the other morning I was actually looking at the Weather Channel just to see what was going on and what was coming um, down the road in a week or so. Jane and I are going to be taking a trip to Iowa to see her mom, and so I'm wanting to know what the weather's going to be like, and, and, I, and so all that information was there, and there's this little clip about Hawaii, and I thought, all right. So as I began to then 
uh, begin my time reading, reading the Bible and, and going through my uh, journaling and all the rest of that, I started thinking about how at times, with all the facts and figures they had about healthy living and life expectancy in Hawaii, I thought, you know, it seems at times we are obsessed with life. You say, well, well, is that a bad thing to be obsessed with life? And I thought, well, but obsessed with life only for this life's sake. And there's a difference. And uh, as I began to think about that, I thought, you know, we talk about exercise, especially some of us that are regulars at the gym like 12 months of the year, Always look at the first two or three weeks of January when you get all the, right, the New Year's resolution people who are there for about two or three weeks and then we'll see you next January. And, and you know how that goes. So the exercise or, or it might be uh, the vitamins or healthy eating or a healthy lifestyle or the kind of health care plan you have or healthy sleep cycles and we go on and on and on about life here and now. That's great. It's wonderful. And I'm not saying you should ignore taking care of yourself in this life. But I wonder how much time and energy and effort and thought we who know Jesus put into life for God's sake. And uh, brought to my mind was, uh, was a verse that one of uh, our D groups have been working on. And it's 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verses 7 and 8. And Paul says this to Timothy, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourselves to be godly. Train yourselves to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, both in this present life, or holds promise, right? As it says, for both this present life and the life to come. So this life is absolutely important as a believer. But we don't live it just for life's sake. We don't live it for health's sake. We live it for God's glory. And then it also has value and benefit for the life to come. When our lives on this earth end and we spend time in eternity, how we live now is going to affect the rewards that we gain when we get to heaven. And our mission we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks here at Heritage is to make more people more like Jesus. Heritage Baptist Church exists to make more people more like Jesus. Folks, if we're going to be more like Jesus, that will require that we train ourselves to be godly. That will require that we give the time and the effort and the energy and the discipline to become more like Jesus, to be godly. And you say, how do we get that done? Well, we need a strategy. How do we become more like Jesus? Well, we as a church have laid that out. And we have a strategy, a mission strategy, how we will accomplish our mission. And, and we say a strategy is great. People have a strategy for healthy living, right? I mean, you're going to figure out your diet and what you will eat. And you're going to figure out your exercise routine. And you're going to get into a sleep routine. And, and all of those kinds of things. You're going to have a strategy to take care of your health, your body, this life. Well, the same thing ought to hold true for us as it relates to our godliness. 
The same thing ought to hold true for us as it relates to becoming more like Jesus. We don't just say, all right, I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. I know he died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. He forgave my sin. He made me a child of God, no longer an enemy of God. I'm saved. I'm forgiven. Great, that's it. Now I just sit here and wait to become like Jesus. No, it takes training. Training for godliness. That's what Paul was telling Timothy. We need a strategy, a plan that involves setting some goals, determining actions to accomplish them. In other words, you say, I'm going to set a goal. I'm going to read at least one chapter five days a week, every week this year. I'm going to memorize at least one verse every other week for 52 weeks this year. I'm going to get involved in a ministry in the church. I'm going to serve God in this way. That'll be my goal. And for the next six months, that's what I'm going to do. We set up a plan. We set up uh, uh, goals. We determine actions that will help us to get that way. We say, I'm going to build a relationship with somebody who does not know Jesus and pray that God will build a relationship, a friendship, so that I will have the opportunity to tell them about how they also can know about the greatest thing that ever happened to me. It gives direction. A strategy gives direction to what we want to accomplish and how we're going to get it done, how we're going to become more like Jesus, a game plan. Now, you may not be sports fans, but you know what's going on this time of the year, right? Super Bowl is just around the corner. And by the way, uh, Herod Student Ministries has a display right out in the foyer uh, because we have a Super Bowl party and uh, that's an opportunity for our students, middle school, high school, to get together and, and have fun, but they're going to be challenged as well about the gospel and, and so there's an opportunity. Well, that's going on. Well, the teams that are vying for that have a game plan. They enter that game about this is what we're going to do. If we want to win the game, we need to do this. And that's the game plan. If we're going to accomplish the mission that God has given us his word, we need a game plan. We got to know what we're doing. We just don't let it happen or it won't. So here's our strategy, our game plan. You may have heard us say it this way, but we say it real briefly, up, deep, and out. Up, deep, and and out. Now, what do we mean by that? Well, here it is. In order to make more people more like Jesus, we will help each other to grow up in our relationship with God. That's about worship. We will grow up in our relationship with God. And we're going to talk about worship and this aspect of it today. Secondly, we will grow deep in our relationship with one another. That's about our community. That's about this body of believers that we call the church, that we call Heritage Baptist Church. We will grow deep in our community. We, we don't want to just be an inch deep and a mile wide. We want to be growing deep in our relationships with one another. As Scott mentioned uh, a few weeks back, uh, uh, we were talking about the one another's that are found throughout the New Testament. And there's probably 30, 40 to 50, depending on how you count them and look at them. All of these one another's. You know what that's about? It's about community. It's about being together as those who know Jesus and all of the one another's that we involve ourselves with the church. Caring for one another, loving one another, forgiving one another, bearing with one another, right? Serving 
one another. And we could go on and on and on about that. That's community. And then thirdly, we will grow out in our relationship with the world. Those who need Jesus, that's a bad outreach. We have an outreach strategy. What is that? Come on, say it. P.I. squared. I know you know you're like, I know it. But yeah, P.I. squared. Pray, invest, invite, right? P and two I's. Pray, invest, invite. We pray for people who don't know Jesus. We pray for the opportunity to be involved in their lives. Then we pray about investing time, energy, resources in building those relationships with those people. And then we pray about the opportunity to invite them. Invite them into our home. Invite them into our church. Invite them to be with other friends. And ultimately, hopefully, you will get to invite them to a relationship with Jesus Christ. But that's the outreach. That's our mission strategy. And we're going to talk through that over the next number of weeks as we look at what, what the accomplishing of the mission, more people, more like Jesus, and what's involved in that. But today I want to zero in on you and God. You and God. Um, we want to help each other grow up. It isn't just the pastor's job or the church leader's job or the Sunday school teacher's job or the Heritage Institute people, teacher's job or the, or the community group leader's job or the D group leader. It's, it's about helping as a church, as a body. We help one another. That's all of those one another. That's one of the things that we do. We help each other to grow up in our relationship with God. Training to be godly. We encourage one another. We challenge one another. We help each other. We hold each other accountable to follow through on these things. This is about worship. Growing up in your worship of God. Learning to worship. Growing closer to God in your worship. So you say, well, what is worship? Worship is one of those words that we use often talk all about it we talk about it. we talk about many times people say the 9 30 time slot on sunday mornings in this building is called the worship service we call all these musicians that were up here we call them the worship team so does that mean worship only happens in this auditorium no, no absolutely not but where else does it happen you know, you think about that. We say, we hear that worship isn't just what happens on Sunday morning at 9.30, but what is it? And there's a lot of misunderstanding, a lot of misperceptions about what worship. We, we think that worship is one of those, sometimes it may be one of those very quiet activities. You just sit somewhere and meditate. You open your Bible and read and you pray and that's just worship. Or you sit here in this auditorium and you sing and that's worship. Or you listen to the, to the teaching, preaching of the word of God. Well, that's worship. What is worship? Well, it's all of those things and more. And the word itself, and, and, and I'm just going to share any number of resources that uh, Bible dictionaries, Holman's Illustrated Bible Dictionary, I want to share with you three thoughts in just a minute. It may be uh, I looked up some word studies and those things to see what the word means. But the word worship means to make obeisance, to do reverence. It comes from two words meaning towards and to kiss, towards and to kiss. I won't tell you about the first time that I 
kiss my wife, but I know that I leaned toward her, right? The idea, why? Because I wanted to be near her. That's the word, to be towards, to lean forward. The idea, to stretch out. It may be to fall down with your face on the ground. Now you're saying, okay, now I'm beginning to get that worship thing. It's like if uh, the king was here. If we knew of a king, we would fall down on our knees before him. But we know that that's how in the Old Testament and the New, many times people would fall down before our God. And the idea is to fall down on your face in complete adoration and submission to God. Completely overcome. Completely overwhelmed with God. The idea of worship, it simply means to express in words, in gestures, in singing, in your attitude. An attitude of complete dependence on and submission to God. Putting ourselves under God's authority in our lives and giving him complete uh, submission. Saying whatever you want, God. Total dependence on him. Worship is giving worth and honor to God. Does God have any value in your life? I hope so. You're here this morning. Why are you here this morning? Does it have anything to do with God? You say, well, why wouldn't it? Well, maybe you're just here because it's what you do. Or if you didn't come, you'd feel really guilty inside. And so you come for that reason, right? And and, and yet we know that we're gathered together as God's people to worship corporately together, to give worth and honor to God. You say, well, how do you do that? Well, when we're here together corporately, we sing. The songs that we sing, it's not just about we have nothing else to do. We need to take up a few minutes of the service every Sunday morning, so we'll sing a few songs. That'll kill about 15 minutes, right? No, 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 no. Asa spends a lot of time, anytime he's ever led worship here, led the singing, the music here at Herod, spends a lot of time looking for songs that have words that say truth about God. And so we sing truth to God. We sing truth about God. That's worship. But that takes an attitude. That takes a heart. You know, think about how do you talk about your favorite food? Oh, boy. Right? How do you talk about your favorite car? If you're ever describing somebody, never seen the car that you have at home in the garage that you keep that time, you don't even take it out. It's all waxed up. In fact, it's probably covered up with one of those like parachutes so that it's not all going to get scratched and everything. But you'll tell everybody about it, but you won't drive that. Why? Because, oh, man, this is the greatest thing. And you go on and on and on. It may be that you talk about your favorite sports team or you talk about your favorite athlete or you talk about your favorite musician. It may be that you talk about your favorite person. Maybe it was a teacher. Maybe it's your next door neighbor. Maybe it's your mom or dad or a wife or husband or kids. You can't stop talking about that person because they're significant in your life. It may be your favorite vacation spot, right? When you have one of those, you have a great vacation, you talk all about how much fun it was, it was beautiful, and all the things you did, and and boom, 
we had some friends a number of years ago that have a place that own a, uh, one of those uh, timeshares or whatever they call them now down in, uh, in Mexico. And, and they invited us to come down with them. And it was like, whoa, it's on the side of a, of a hill, a mountain. And uh, it goes up on an angle. And each level, there's one place. And, and in the living room is this pool that looks out over the ocean. And, and they'd been telling about it for years and describing what a beautiful place it was and all of the things that are involved. And finally, they said, you got to come. You got to come. Why? Because they loved it so much. They, 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 it meant so much to them. It was just meaningful in their lives. The only thing that was left to do was say, you got to come see it for yourself. And we went. And I was sick for three days. We ate something the first night that was there, and I don't know what happened, but oh boy. But it was beautiful, right? And, and so you think about how we talk about those things that mean a lot to us. Does God mean a lot to you? Does your relationship with Jesus Christ mean a lot to you? Who do you talk about? So when you're with God's people on a Sunday morning, we are talking about this in staff meeting the other day, and it was, it's kind of like, okay, so what do we talk about? Do we always just talk about the weather? Do we always just talk about our favorite sports teams? Do we just talk about how much gas is costing or, or what's going on with the economy or the politicians or, or the local town high school basketball team? Or what do we talk about? Do we ever, when we're gathered together as God's people in this building, together as the group of people that we call Heritage Baptists, do we talk about God? What would happen if you walked up to a friend of yours and say, hey, what did God do for you this week? Did you learn anything new this week? What did you, you get when you're reading your Bible this week? Did God put anything on your heart? And sharing, the, oh man, I got to tell you what God stirred my heart about this week. You won't believe what I saw. I've read that passage a thousand times and I never saw that. And boom, here's what it is. Man, I'm so fired up. And many times we gather together as God's people, we talk about everything but. Because we, we don't, you know, what would happen? Well, you know, if we said, hey, what'd God do for you this week? God give you any opportunities to tell about God, to share Jesus Christ with anybody? We might think, man, what's wrong with that guy? That's worship. And as we think about that, it's critical that we understand that the things that matter most to us are the things that we talk about. Worship is giving worth and honor to God, just like you do your favorite food, your favorite car, your favorite vacation spot. You can't help but talk about it. We can't, ought not to be able to help talking about God. Came across this quote, wanted to put it up for you. Uh, D.A. Carson, whether you know him or not, he's a theologian, and he says this, Worship is the proper response of all mortal sentient... You say, what is that? I had to look it up too. Um, it simply means able to have feelings, to have perceptions, to be able to feel about things. And, and that's what worship is, the proper response of all mortal, sentient beings to God, ascribing all honor and worth to their creator God, our creator 
God, honor and worth to our creator God, precisely because he is worthy and delightfully so. In other words, not because you have to, you can't help yourself. And when you're talking about God, it's like the greatest thing since sliced bread, right? Better than that, obviously. But worship, that's what's involved. And understand, folks, worship is bigger than music and singing. Worship is bigger than a musical style. Worship is bigger than preaching. Worship is bigger than Sunday services. Worship is about all of life. What matters most to you? Thinking about what matters most to you. Worship is the response of man to who God is and what he has done and is still doing in your life. A response. And I want to say more about that. I came across these three uh, principles as it relates to worship. And I, I thought, wow, this is good. Number one, God initiated worship by revealing himself. Listen, we are blessed. We as people, as people born sinners, people therefore because of that sin who are bound to hell, who are on their way to hell without Jesus. And yet God revealed himself to us. He revealed his purpose. What is life for? Why are we here? How are we supposed to live our lives? His will for us. How do we enjoy life? How do we come to know God? How do we live for him? How does life mean all that God intended it to mean? How does satisfaction and joy and peace come from life? God has revealed all of that to us. And that ought to cause us to respond in worship, in honor, and giving God worth for all of that. Secondly, secondly, worship requires a spiritual and personal relationship with God by faith in Jesus Christ. You, you can't just walk in here and sing the song that we just sang that Asa led us in, that the worship team played and, and moved us through, and think you're worshiping if you don't know Jesus Christ. Or if you, let me put it that way, if you don't know God by faith in Jesus Christ. Won't happen. Why? Because you've got to have that personal, individual relationship with God. That comes when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jesus died on the cross. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, Jesus, that whoever would believe in him would have everlasting life. Now, why did he die? Why did God give us that gift? Because Jesus Christ is the only way that our sin could be forgiven. Jesus Christ is the only one who can make us right before God Almighty, the creator God that we've talked about. And that requires a relationship with him. You say, that sounds pretty exclusive. Are you saying there's only one way? Well, I'm not saying it, but God says it in the Bible. So, yes, I believe that. Jesus said himself, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So, yes, Jesus is the only way to forgiveness of sin and a relationship with God, period. And that is exclusive, but guess what? It's for all who believe. Now, what's exclusive about that? 
Yeah, there's one way to heaven. There's one way to forgiveness of sin. There's one way to become a child of God. But it's open to all who will believe and receive Jesus Christ. Huh? Yeah. Man, it's one of those woo-hoo. Come on, folks. There you go, Sheldon. All right. Thirdly, worship necessitates a response by the worshiper. A response of adoration, of humility, of submission to God and obedience to him. You ever just sit and tell God you love him? You say, I, I, I don't know. It feels kind of weird. I, I, we might pray that way, but what about praying at home all by yourself in your own living room, just you and God, and you're talking to God. Good morning, Lord. I just want you to know this morning as I begin my day, I love you. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus to this earth to die for me, to forgive my sin. Adoration, I tell you, I, I, I know I've talked about this before. My dad adored my mom. I, never, ever. Any, my, my, I'm the oldest. I have three younger sisters. And if you were to ask every one of them individually, they would absolutely agree and say, Dad absolutely adored our mom. He did. I remember as a kid growing up, he'd walk around singing, Let Me Call You Sweetheart, I'm In Love With You. And that's an old song. Some of you remember it if you're old, right? And, and he would just do that, and we'd go, Dad. <laughs> but we knew. He didn't just love my mom. We knew that. He adored her. You ever feel that way about Jesus? He gave his life for us on the cross. Do we adore him? Do we tell him that, oh God? But that's what's involved, a response. And a response of obedience to him because of all that he's done for us. Because of who he is. I don't want to give anybody a complex, but I hear a lot when I'm with people, and you, you hear it too when people pray. Dear Lord, thank you for who you are. And that's fine. That's great. But do we really understand what we're praying when we say that? Because if we're thanking God for who he is, do we realize that means he's Lord of our life and, and deserves obedience, complete Complete, absolute obedience to him. Not because we have to, because we want to, because we adore him. Because we love him, because he loved us. We love him because he first loved us. As we think about that worship. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. If you have your Bibles. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. Somewhere a little bit past the middle of your Bible, if you have one, if you've got a tablet or phone. Romans 12, 1. And here's what Paul said. A verse that may sound familiar to some of you. Um, Therefore, Paul says, 
I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. Paul's talking to believers. He's talking to those who know Jesus Christ. That's why he says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters in Christ, fellow believers, those who have trusted Christ. He says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. Do you know what it is to make a sacrifice? I'm not talking about in the Old Testament. I'm not talking about animal sacrifices. I'm talking about you sacrifice something. Right? He says, in view of God's mercy, you, I urge you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, giving up everything you are and have to God, holy and pleasing to God. Why? He says, this is your true and proper worship. Worship. Some translations, you may have a Bible that says service. It's the same word. You realize that serving God is worship? When you're in the nursery taking care of little babies... So their parents can be right here or somewhere else in the class. That's worship. That's serving God. You're doing that. Why? Because you love God. You care about God's people. That's worship. We'll develop that more down the road here. But as we talk about that, as Romans 12.1, it is your true and proper worship in response to God's mercy. Remember, we talked about worship as response. In response to God's work, mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. That's worship. That's what Paul's saying. All of life is an act of worship and service before God. That's why Paul says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. Why? Because we're giving honor to God. We're worshiping God. We're pointing to God. Look, it's God. God did that. Folks, we'll share more details at the end of the February when we have a, a family gathering together. Uh, now, we are doing that today. You hear a little bit more about it, just a reminder. But, but we finished 2022 for almost $40,000 over budget. And somebody might say, well, well, why? And I say, God, God, because God's people gave sacrificially. God did that. We give glory and credit to God. Worship, again, I've said it, but an attitude or expression of our complete dependence on and submission to God. Listen, people see God in us when we worship. Why? Because we're pointing to him. Our lives are pointing to God. We're not talking about ourselves all the time. We're not saying what I want, what I did, what I'd like. What about me? No, we're talking about God. This is what God did. This is who God is. Worship can happen corporately. It can happen individually, but it needs to be a way of life for you. Don't say you know how to come and you just worship here corporately if you're not worshiping regularly at home. I'm not going to say you can't worship together if you're not doing that on your own somewhere, but I'm going to say it won't be as meaningful for you. It might just be singing songs. Until you're growing in your own response to God. And our strategy begins as we help each other grow up in our relationship with God. 
each of us, the church, should encourage each other, the church. In other words, we, the church, help ourselves, we, the church, to grow, to worship God, to respond to God. And the first way we do that, we say simply, is this. If we're going to worship God, we must think correctly about God. Can't worship God if we don't think correctly about God. Can't happen. The first of the Ten Commandments, you shall have no other God before me. But you know what? Satan hasn't stopped trying to come between God and man since day one. That's always been his plan, always is and will be his plan to come between us and God, to get us to worship God. If he can get between us and God, we can't see God because we're looking at him. And, and that's a God, an idol, we may say, other gods. What are other gods? Anything that you give more time. Now, listen to me. Other gods in your life, anything that you give more time, more energy, more resources, more interest to than you do to God, then it has become a God for you. And we can't worship God. If we've got things and other people and stuff in our lives more important with our time and our energy and our resources than with God. You know, Satan attempted to get between Jesus and his father early on in the beginning of Jesus' ministry, right? Jesus was tempted in the wilderness for 40 days. And Satan three times tried to tempt him. One of them, he said, if you'll do this, to worship me. Fall down and worship me. I'll give you everything. And Jesus said, hey, huh. uh, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus would not bow down. We must think correctly about God. We must understand his holiness, his incomprehensiveness, his all power, his faithfulness, his love for us, his goodness, his sovereign control over everything about us and around us. Understand who God is. Think correctly about God. And I know I've used this quote before from A.W. Tozer, because it is so good. And, and it, this is what A.W. Tozer said in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy. We've talked about that. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us and the most portentous or significant fact about any man is not what he at a given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. Your perception of God is what shapes your life. Nothing more important in your mind and heart about what you think about God. How do you do that? Well, God's word. Romans 12, 2. And we're done. Romans 12, 2. Train your mind to be godly. How do you do that? Right here. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of God your mind training your mind to think in a godly way the renewing of your mind then you will be able to test and approve what god's will is his good pleasing and perfect will if we're going to worship god we've got to think correctly about god and we've got to have our mind renewed regularly this isn't a one-time thing when he says renewing of your mind. How do you do that? You fill it with God's truth, the Word of God, the Bible. 
That's why we talk about it. If you're going to have a plan for being godly, training to be godly, you got to you, you got to have part of that plan's got to be I'm going to read the Bible every day or every five days or I'm going to read three chapters a day or I'm going to read uh, a chapter a day for seven days every week or whatever it is. We got to fill our minds and our hearts with God's truth or we cannot renew our minds. We cannot change our thinking. We will not know what it means to worship God. Renewing our minds. And with this Titus 1, 1. This is amazing. I was reading through this text the other day and and the plan that I'm following in Titus chapter 1 and verse 1, Paul said this to young Titus. He said, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect. Now that's, we're not going there this morning. That's, but that's who every one of you who know Jesus is, one of God's elect. You've been chosen in him because you believed. And their knowledge, well, I shouldn't say it that way. I, I see what I mean? I'm going to get myself in trouble here. One of God's elect, you are a believer. You're one of his elect, period. I'll leave it there. And he says, I'm here to further the faith of God's people, the elect, and their knowledge of the truth. So we got to grow in our understanding and knowledge. Knowledge of the truth. But look what he says. That leads to godliness. What's that? The knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. The knowledge of the truth that puts that knowledge into action. That puts that, 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 you're, that you're doing that knowledge. That's what Paul's saying to Titus. He said, my goal, my job, my ministry is to further the faith of God's elect. Those who know Jesus and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. Not just that they gain more knowledge, but that that truth transforms the way they live. They live godly lives. Why? Because they're growing in their knowledge of Jesus Christ. Knowledge that leads to God. Knowledge that doesn't lead to anything in your life is just knowledge. The knowledge of the Word of God ought to lead to life transformation. Came across this quote. Worship isn't primarily about music, techniques, liturgies, songs, or methodologies. It's about our hearts. That's what worship is, our hearts. It's about who we love more than anything else. If you want to worship God, you've got to answer that question. What matters most in your life? Who do you love the most? What do you love the most? How are you worshiping God? What matters most to you? You answer that question and you'll know whether or not you're worshiping God. Father, we're just touching the surface here this morning on what it means to worship you. But I pray, dear God, that because of your unbelievable, generous, abounding mercies to us, as we respond in sacrificing our time and our lives and our energy and our resources and our abilities, that we would understand that's how we worship you. Lord, I ask this morning that you would stir our hearts to those who know Jesus to be people who worship you. Because we have to, because we can't help it. God, if there's any here today who do not know Jesus Christ, I 
I pray that you'd open their heart, cause them to understand that their sin is going to send them to hell. But if they'll believe on the Lord Jesus Christ who died for them, they can be forgiven and given life with Christ everlasting, become a child of God. For it's in Christ's name I pray.